When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Blocking Charge Cast, where our administration will always show you some appreciation so you don't take a lateral at best move to Miami after the most successful season your school's had in a generation. It's hard to be big into the Winter Olympics when one assumes John Schuster, being from Wisconsin, is mostly trying to play every end 0-0 and then win when his opponents forfeit so they can leave the curling arena before they starve to death this week on Off Tackle Empire. Okay, but it's the blocking charge cast and we have to talk about Penn State, Wisconsin, because this is a basketball podcast, even though there are so many other compelling things right now. I'm several whiskeys deep because I've been watching NASCAR at the LA Coliseum with a with an ice cube concert in the middle of the race. You're you're back in your ba- well and kicked off as I understand with a concert by NASCAR team owner Pitbull. Yes, uh, yes, it did. Uh, and of course, his driver Daniel Suarez coming down the steps for the intro in a full-on sombrero. Please tell me he was wearing an L tree cape. Uh, <laughs> he was wearing a poorly fitted driver's suit, as most of them were. I'm not sure why none of their suits fit, but we return now to the blocking charge cast at the turn of the calendar to February. I am your, I guess, host. You could call me Andrew Krzyzewski, joined once again by Thumpasaurus Steve Braun, back off of the uh, had, had a larynx a couple weeks ago as a result of the Packers Niners game, but back now in full form. Um, and no, I had many more injuries than that. <laughs> well, only that was the only physical one. I was the spiritual injury. I was very wounded. For the most part, on this podcast, you're obligated to play through because talking about Big Ten football and basketball in a world in which Big Michigan won the conference championship in both of those sports in the last year. Otherwise, you know, it would be we would never podcast again if we weren't playing through spiritual injuries. So, yes, everyone shut up. We have to talk about Penn State, Wisconsin immediately, which had a halftime score of Wisconsin 18, Penn State 13. I don't know that my middle school basketball team ever had an outcome that bad. I mean, we did, but that was because we were a bunch of talentless white kids playing in a public school league. Well, look, I know my dogs don't do it that much, but I know that your Husky does this. The the um the increasing head tilt as you continue to say things right oh, yeah. you continue oh, yeah. to say things the head tilt just increases and the look becomes more quizzical that was me every time penn state missed a bucket in the first half i'm just like they're not really going to finish with this few points are is this really happening it's still happening my I believe, god i believe penn state had a total of 5 made field goals in the first half and their starters went a combined two for 21 from the field. Um, Which means Wisconsin Penn State starters plus Davis and Davison for Wisconsin went a combined two of 30. 
Yeah, because Wisconsin's two best players went 0 for 9 in the first half. And then, of course, so the second half resembled a, a merely bad offensive half. But the sheer artistry to have a second half score of 36 to 33, I tell it, you again, it's like poetry, so they rhyme. It, it is. And my, uh, my wife is a big fan of the Winter Olympics. She watches a lot of the figure skating, and we both are into the curling because it's just, there's just something mesmerizing about it. Um, but she watches a good deal of the skating. And it is, it is a shame that Johnny Weir is busy at the moment because he belonged in the broadcast booth for this game to comment on the symmetry echoing through time of 36-33 second-half score. Well, the and question is then, do, do you then make the noise that they make when figure skaters fall down for a made field goal? Do you just go, oh. <laughs> Man. I love it. That never gets old when there's a fall and you just, oh. Yeah, I will tell you, though, the other day, I don't remember if it was last night or Friday night, um, this this male skater is out there, goes through his routine, probably, and Chris said, like, you know, my wife says, this is probably the worst routine I've ever seen at the Olympic level. Dude ate shit probably three or four times. Even I, like, I don't know anything about figure skating other than when they fall down, I point at the TV, I'm like, yeah, he shouldn't have done that there. Um, but other than that, I don't, and I could tell, like, yeah, this is not going well. And at least when you see something like that, it's memorable. But the problem with getting a, a final score that approximates a normal basketball game is that people you know, go, who aren't watching it live or following on social media or anything just see that if you're glancing at scores on the bottom line. It's like, oh, well, that was merely a shitty game instead of one that was halfway to being historically memorably shitty. So to the viewing audience, the fans of both teams, Really, all that that means is that this game basically ended up being Thor the Dark World instead of The Room, and it's unfortunate. We've been cheated. So, yeah, but the 36-33, if it was going to end like that with, you know, with normal basketball in the second half, at least that 36-33 reference is still there. Obviously, a reference to Wisconsin's win by that score of Penn yeah, State like in the poetry, so Big Ten tournament around 10, mm-hmm. 10 or so years ago, if I recall correctly. Last one. And uh, again, this is this is where I, I have to insert the George Lucas clip in post. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was around 2009. Uh, I th- it was not too far long after, after a ranked Illinois squad with, with current assistant Chester Frazier lost on the road to Penn State uh, 38 to 33. Just uh, <laughs> so we got overshadowed by that uh, tournament game though. Big Ten <laughs> tournament. Oh, we will continue through other results of the last couple of weeks. First, we're going to do a quick update for reference purposes of the conference teams, Ken Palm positioning, which will give you a rough idea of how the conference is doing relative to the rest of the country and, which cut which teams are to an extent overperforming their statistical expectations and which are underperforming. Not exactly the elite presence you would hope for from a conference as historically strong as the Big Ten, as Purdue at number five is the only Big Ten team in the top 10. You do have Illinois at 14. And then how about this string where Ohio State was 20, Iowa 21, Michigan State 22, and Wisconsin 25. And then with Indiana at 33, that's about the line where you can figure. Those teams are all going to be surefire or near surefire tournament teams unless they fall apart. Just incredible that Iowa and Indiana are in that group. 
well, given that, but and that's there is some limitation there to these statistical measures because they do like efficiency. And Iowa, for all their struggles in the win loss column this year, does still have quite an efficient offense, which is honestly remarkable considering that they lost Garza, Wieskamp, Frederick, probably their three best players, and that their offense has from last year, and that their offense has still maintained a very efficient level. Um, something has to be said about that, although, of course, the overall performance does not really um, lead you to believe that. Am I right up for my new column? college hoops pick of the day bet of the day i mentioned that iowa i think uh not only you know writers and media but statistical models are overrating them for that uh for that you know efficient offense you talked about because i've made money fading them earlier this year and so of course i advised minnesota plus 13 and it was looking pretty good (laughs) Until about halfway through the second half, when Iowa just pulled away by a huge margin, but Minnesota got me that backdoor cover. They ran the cover play at the end. Yeah, and so there's quality depth in the rest of the conference. <clears throat> a couple of bubble teams. Michigan is 44 in the Ken Palm. But to, to call them a tournament bubble team right now is a bit of a stretch. And then you get the first team really that I think has dramatically underperformed their statistical profile. I guess it's a a fair question as to whether Michigan at 44 has fallen further short of that, or if Northwestern is because as of yesterday, at least they were still a top 65 Ken Palm team at number 62. And you see like, again, like they've got a fair number of losses on their resume, but even before taking Nebraska to the woodshed beat Michigan state, they were right there with Illinois I think Northwestern is one of those teams that's way better than their record has shown. So and what you're saying is they're basically Nebraska football for this basketball season where it's like, you know, honestly, it's not a terrible comparison. No, because, because all the indications are that they should be a winning team. They should be in the upper third of this conference yet here. They sit at four and eight and 11 and 10 overall. Yeah. Thanks to some sort of, uh, of, you know, Eldritch magic of some kind. Basically, their fortunes in the record column have reversed with Rutgers, who should really be down about where Northwestern is in the standings, according to the statistics. They're actually below Penn State in Ken Palm. So Penn State at 82, Rutgers 86, Maryland 89, and Minnesota at 98. Even these teams towards the bottom of the rankings, like with the exception of Rutgers, who, yes, I know their conference record overall is better than that statistical performance would have you indicate, uh, would indicate. But that's because Rodgers is the worst team in the conference, except Nebraska. But Nebraska had to weasel their way out of beating Rodgers. We have to distinguish between Rutgers and Rodgers because Rodgers is just awful. Yeah, Rodgers is a Horizon League team and like a middle-of-the-pack one at that. Rutgers at home is a top-40 team in the country. And, And, of course, so the point of... I mean, it's funny then that this group of teams is all kind of in the same neighborhood statistically and that bears out in that, for the most part, the offense is hard to watch. And it also reminds you that given they're all in the top 100, there's really no nights off in this conference except Nebraska all the way down at Ken Palm number 186. So again, the difference between the best Ken Palm team in a conference, Purdue, and Minnesota, which is 13th, down at 98, 
is right around the same as the distance between Minnesota and Nebraska. It's where I think we've used this analogy before or something like it. I don't remember exactly for what, but the difference between number one and number 13 in the conference from this statistical measure is the different is the same as the difference between 13 and 14. Nebraska is Pluto right now. And I like just not even, yeah, not even a planet because yeah. Uh, you know, those, those three Penn state Rutgers, Maryland, obviously we know about home Rutgers and their ability to knock off highly ranked teams. Uh, Maryland's got Maryland put up the worst beating on Illinois this year, albeit a depleted Illinois, but you know, depleted Illinois doesn't necessarily mean that they're that bad. And uh, Minnesota got Michigan and Mississippi state on the road and both Minnesota and Penn state came real close to beating Wisconsin. Nebraska, on the other hand, yeah. they came real close two times in a row, both versus Rutgers and at Michigan, where they had a seven point lead before just an awful technical foul because, uh, oh, I don't remember who the guy was. Um, Casey Tominaga. Uh, yeah, Tominaga. Correctly very upset about a terrible blown call by the refs, but you can't give away points in that game situation, let alone the ball. Because that uh-huh. completely changed the momentum of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it would not be, it would not be unreasonable to conclude, man, Nebraska just decided we can't do anything to win this game because the refs are going to take it from us anyway. So what's the point? Like that, that's the vibe that you got off of the way the end of that game went. At least, at least I did. The gulf between the rest of the big 10 and Nebraska is just so huge. And yet I'm so glad that we're done playing Nebraska because I just oh, yeah, can't, yeah help but feel like someone's going to get nebraska well there's there's going to come a desperation right because honestly 0 20 in basketball is way harder to do than 0 9 in football um or even 1 8 in football i think well do we recall eddie jordan rutgers getting the final four wisconsin team's scalp Yes, but I believe wasn't that well, didn't Frank Kaminsky miss that game with like a concussion or a sprained ankle or something like? It's not clear, but that was Eddie Jordan Rutgers. Yes, which was vastly. I mean, I think vastly less talented than this version of Nebraska. Absolutely. And so, yeah, it, and we'll we'll get back to Nebraska and kind of the remaining schedule. But it look two weeks ago, we mused in your absence, whether a winless Nebraska was something we ought to be considering. It's like, no, come on. That's not real. Like there's too many games left. A lot of winnable, man, a few of those winnable opportunities have passed them by, Uh, but we'll circle back to them. We're going to start now at the top of the conference and kind of quick bullet point by point where each team stands right now. And we'll start with your own team in the catbird seat for the conference came through some serious injury issues um, won their tug of war with MSU over who was more determined to lose a terribly played game in Champaign, uh, bereft of Kofi Coburn and Andre Curbelo pulled that out. And that's good. That could end up being huge. We play our teams play really bad games in Champaign. I will never forget that during, during the period after Bruce Weber, like basically threw in the white flag at a press conference following a loss where they lost 12 of their last 14. One of those was against number 10, Michigan state 42 to 41. And everyone in the band knew it didn't mean anything. It was just such a bad game. I for some reason, I, well, I think I was in law school at the time and I was in a bowling league. And so I had to watch that entire game 
at a bowling alley, like on a TV, like 50 feet away from me. So I could kind of see what was going on, but it, not it really. was an appalling game. And nobody like, no, again, like this is law school. I don't think anybody I was on that team with had gone to Michigan state. I don't know if anybody was even from the state of Michigan. So none of them gave a shit. And they're like, dude, what is the matter with you? As I'm like launching the ball two lanes away from me. As I watch Raymar Morgan miss the front end of another one and one. Yeah. I remember that game. It was appalling. Uh, God. But in any case, Illinois I didn't watch this game because I was nursing my wounds still. Oh, un- understandably so. I I watched most of it and then tuned out when I was like, all right, this is not the kind of game that they win. And that being said, Malik Hall, I think it was Hall. It was either Hall or Bingham. No, it was Hall. Bingham was the guy against Northwestern where he had free throw late, chance to tie it, miss. Um, and well, was- no, then he, he missed the first one and then he missed the second one where he was trying to miss. He missed missing. Well, yeah, that's that's what I mean. Is it so because he missed the first one, he had to then try to miss the second, and he couldn't do that. So um, Illinois, as we sit here recording, in the midst of probably their toughest road stretch of the year, they have trips to Indiana, Purdue, Rutgers, and Michigan State in a five-game stretch with a home game against Northwestern dead set in the middle there. Um, they won against Indiana handily, so that's the first of those trips checked and look at Indiana is probably not as tough as any of those other teams on the road this season, but still a trip to the hall calls is not something to overlook. A 17 point victory there. Also that was ultimately the difference in that game was we made some halftime adjustments on defense and Indiana's guards just could not shoot their way out of it. Yeah. When it was what, I think Illinois had like a three or four point lead at halftime and ended up comfortably pulling away after that, limiting them to 21 points in the second half. Uh, I think Brad Underwood's done a remarkable job with this group, considering that Andre Corbello, who is supposed to be the centerpiece of the offense, is basically at no point been, um, you know, fully healthy and fully practiced, right? Because there's been a lot of practice he's missed as a result. Even though he's healthy now, he missed some games with, uh, you know, in COVID protocols and wasn't able to practice. Trent Frazier stepped up a lot. Um, we've had contributions from the freshmen. We've had good minutes in Kofi Coburn's absence. This game against Michigan State was without uh, Coburn and I think also without Curbelo. Um, yeah. But even the state that Curbelo is playing right now is not, you know, he's not up to speed yet because he's missed so much game time and so much practice. Yeah, he has, I, he has I, moments and stretches where you can kind of see, oh, man, this is the guy that he's supposed to be. Generally not able to put it together for a full game's worth of minutes at a time yet, but you hope that he's going to be able to get there with the benefit of a couple more weeks. And I think, I think you have to consider Brad Underwood for, for, for some kind of honors here, because it's, it's been remarkable uh, how they've, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't think there was a chance in hell they'd beat Michigan state because uh, you know, the absence of Kofi Coburn is just such a, you know, you saw them get walloped on the road at Maryland and then, Losing to Maryland seems to unlock something deep within the heart of these fighting Illini over the last few years where they, they, they do some soul searching and realize, no, you know what? We're going to be the best versions of ourselves. And they haven't lost since losing to Maryland. And uh, that's convenient because they lose to Maryland often. If you were to th- So that's an interesting thing. We'll kind of take a little sidebar to do that right now. If you were to talk about coach of the year, I don't think you can give it to Purdue because they were project they were picked by almost everyone to win the conference. 
I think most people thought Illinois would be there. I think most people thought Ohio State would be there. My vote at this point would probably go to Mike Woodson. We'll see how they conclude their season. But relative, I mean, even if you want to say that, look, this is probably, I think that right now they're sitting, I think, sixth place in the conference. Yeah, sixth place. I don't think that that's, that's got to be about their ceiling, right? If you had thought about where they are going into the season, I think most people probably would have thought there was, would there be somewhere like eight, nine, 10? I really didn't think this was to be in, yeah, too talented to be in the basement, but probably not a threat to the top echelon. And that's like, they're, they're at the top end of that range. I think if, if they make the tournament, you really have to, yeah, to to give him some credit because, you know, Underwood would certainly deserve consideration if the people who voted for these things actually had the context of the season from paying close attention to it. We know that they don't. Uh, but coming, yeah, Brad Underwood's absolutely missed his window now because there's no way he'll ever win Big Ten Coach of the Year. Yeah, because now because now people think he's that Illinois is good. So <laughs> unfortunately, once you're once you are viewed as being good, it's very difficult to because win Juwan Howard win. lost fewer games than him last year. Man, I tell you what, uh, <laughs> and also won fewer games than him, but that's okay. Oh, we'll get to them. We're going in rough order of the standings, and it's going to be a minute before we get to Michigan. <laughs> you just hate to see it hey it's gonna be three weeks before i get to michigan i found myself a really cheap seat i'm sure you did row 10 on the sideline if you had waited another week or two it would have been cheaper still i suspect well Um, you know i bought it as a hedge so i don't know yeah um i I do still think the biggest threat to illinois for the conference title is purdue which Uh, i think is a better team than us and i think that tuesday is gonna man tuesday's like a playoff game almost yeah tuesday's a big day in the in the big 10 hopefully we'll have this episode up for everyone by then um but the, yeah the games when you're talking about i mean michigan state wisconsin does not normally serve as an undercard to anyone but illinois purdue is going to be absolutely that round two purdue had the home win on martin luther king day double overtime game fantastic. no purdue won at illinois oh did they? oh that's even yeah that's even bigger than i forgot that that was at illinois state. it was at illinois but it was with a pretty terrible game from Kofi Coburn. So foul trouble. Who knows? I remember right. Yeah. Yeah. Omar Payne was also bad. We got a superhuman performance from Benjamin Bosman's Verdonk to keep us in the game till two OT. So that's right. I don't know. I mean, I think Illinois can actually play better than they played that day against Purdue, but it's if always Purdue, yeah. very when difficult Purdue- to win at Mackey. But Illinois has been very good on the road. That's true. The other thing to remember about Purdue is it. If they're playing their best game, I don't think anyone in this conference can be. If they're playing their best game, they're a national title caliber team. Um, but they very rarely are at that level. It always feels like something isn't working quite right. They'll have a cold shooting night. Um, Ivy will take, have bad shot selection or whatever it is. Man, this game they played against Ohio State, they opened a huge lead against the Buckeyes. And then Matt Painter did everything in his power to give it away. But it was just an instance where his team was too talented for it to stick. I mean, they get, I think they were at one point, they might have had as much as a 20 point lead, if not, then something in that 15 to 20 range. Ohio State comes all the way back to tie it. Massive shots from EJ Liddell. And of course, I had the temerity to post in the Slack channel something to the effect of I can't view Liddell as an All American if he doesn't box the hell out because he had given up an offensive rebound and stick back that felt like it was a dagger. Turned out it wasn't because Liddell hit two threes in the last minute of game clock uh, to tie it up. 
And then Purdue drew up this out of bounds play that was completely screwed up. Guys are going the wrong way. So Ivy gets the ball back with like three seconds left. He has to do a thing like he's not squared up. He has to jack up a three splash, hits it, wins the game. <laughs> it's just like, I'm so angry because it, like I don't really care about the stains because I know Michigan State's not a conference title tal- caliber team this year. It's more of, man, if I don't have a horse in the race, I want the team to win who deserves to win. And, the te- and especially, I want the team to lose who deserves to lose. If you get what I mean? Like, if yep. one team way more deserves to take the L, I want that to be the thing that happens. And it was not in this game. Purdue completely escaped, preserved their position, got a big head-to-head win over another possible contender. And I was just like, again, for a game that I had no interest in other than just watching a game between two good teams, I was so furious. <laughs> and I was like, you can't be kidding me. They got away with that crap. Um, and from a schedule standpoint, they just uh, beat Michigan over the weekend, held on reasonably comfortably. Just held them at arm's length the whole second half. Yeah, they've got the home matchup with Illinois on Tuesday. That's huge. And then they play Michigan again on Friday because of the reschedule. So they'll play Michigan twice with Illinois in the middle in the span of six days. I would be very curious to know what degree of choice Purdue had in accepting that rescheduled game date with Michigan. I wonder if they had any choice at all or if the conference just told them this is happening or we're announcing it and you're forfeiting if you don't play. Uh, Because I don't know how, as a coach, you would accept that. Like, yeah, Greg, Oh, we want to play everybody. We want the challenge. Three games in six days in the middle of a conference stretch is bullshit for a team. Yeah. Well, I mean, does this happen to Michigan last year? No. Does it happen to Michigan State at any point? Are they forced to play? No. And our our own rescheduled game with Michigan is going to cause a schedule problem for us too. But whatever we're going to be at, we'll be safely in the tournament and out of the conference race by then. So what does it matter? So if we look at remaining schedules, if we look at how the race is shaping up. It really is Tuesday is just so huge because Purdue does not have that brutal a stretch schedule. They do have games at Michigan State and at Wisconsin, but otherwise it's, you know, Maryland at Northwestern home against Rodgers and then versus Indiana, whereas Illinois has plenty more opportunities to lose with, uh, you know, with a stretch where they have to play at Rutgers as well as then at Michigan state against Ohio state. Um, that's a tough stretch for them. Yeah. Um, and the, other, the other thing, of course, so you can say, sure. Indiana beat Purdue in their first matchup that was in Bloomington. And it was also, at, you know, they had the game of his life from Rob fantasy, probably about an a plus game from Indiana. Cannot expect them to replicate that effort at Mackey. Um, so Michigan State, <laughs> hopefully we'll make this quick. Their first two conference losses were by a total of three points, but they also had narrow escapes against Minnesota and Maryland by a bucket each. Um, I thought that they were maybe showing a higher ceiling because they played a great game at the Cole Center to beat Wisconsin handily, took care of Michigan in the first matchup, no problem. But man, I just like... They never have all their players playing good at the same time. And for basically the last six weeks now, since the high point game, like when they had a little mini outbreak of COVID, they have not had, they they, they haven't played anything close to what I think their ceiling is. And I don't think their ceiling is anything approaching national title. Like there hasn't been any stretch this season 
where I thought, I think back to their non-conference and the results they had against Baylor or Kansas and think, oh yeah, you know, there's a reasonable trajectory they can find where they'll be able to handle a team like one of those by the time the tournament comes. No, I, I haven't seen that. I think they're pretty good. They've got good talent. They're very deep, maybe too deep because I still, you know, 22 games in, you should not be wondering what a team's identity is. And I still know what it is. I don't know who this team's like at times. Gabe Brown looks like the, their best player. At times, Malik Hall looks like their best player. Sometimes Marcus Bingham looks like a defensive player of the year, but he's obviously still having some issues post COVID as well with staying on the floor and keeping his wind. So I don't know what to think of this team, man. Um, they're often inconsistent this time of year. But given that they really are a veteran team, they've got a lot of guys who ought to fit together pretty well that they've played so inconsistently and generally, I mean, more bad than good for the last month plus really does not suggest that they're going to be able to sustain. I mean, really, at this point, if they stay in the double buy for the Big Ten tournament, that would be, I think, about the best I'm expecting. I do not expect them to stay that. Um, They do have five of their last eight games at home. But still, uh, it's been extremely frustrating, which, again, that's February as a Michigan State fan. Um, Mentioned Wisconsin in there. We talked about their game with Penn State. They got a chilling preview of what life could look like after Johnny Davis and Brad Davison. And, of course, that's assuming that nobody gets any better in the offseason, which is not going to happen because Johnny Davis – if you think last year about the situation Wisconsin could have been in with their attrition apocalypse – You would, I mean, you never would have thought that they would be better after losing all those guys because guys do get better when they have new opportunities. And it's also maybe a foregone conclusion that Davis is heading the draft. But anyway, Wisconsin's going to lurk in the conference race like a fart in an elevator until more teams show them the door. And they escaped on Penn State despite against Penn State, despite probably the worst game that their two best players are going to have all season. Well, uh, they're finally their their starting lineup is finally down to where they don't all have thirty plus minutes per game. It's now just two of them with Hepburn sitting at twenty nine point six. Stephen Crowell has seen his minutes dip to twenty five, probably because man, his three point shooting has been hilarious lately. Like nobody's yeah, even no. guarding him when he's out there. No, he he. Nobody's going to confuse him for Frank Kaminsky or John Luer or any of the historical badger stiffs who can stand out there at the three-point line and can a three if you leave them open uh but that being said I, you know early in the season i honestly thought that chris vote was the better option for them but the guy is he has gavin Schilling syndrome and that he steps on the floor with two fouls so crawl has had to be their guy he's mostly been okay he's generally not more than their fourth option uh i would say that I'm going to be watching closely on Tuesday to see what kind of impact Tyler Wall makes on this game against Michigan State. He was not there for the first one. I don't think he would have swung it all the way to a Wisconsin win, but it certainly would have been closer. So anyway, not much else to say about them. They continue to win games, mostly on the backs of Johnny Davis and Brad Davis and chucking up threes. So you take a little bit of the pressure off of Davis. I still think the key to beating them is what Michigan State did the first time. Make sure Davis sees two or three guys every time he turns the corner. But we'll see if that's really repeatable. He's an excellent player. Um, Ohio State's in kind of a weird position also here in the conference race in that they've 
they've got fewer games played because they had Nebraska postponed and then Iowa postponed not for COVID, but rather because of the false Armageddon snowstorm that came through last week. Turned out to be what six inches of snow, maybe when they were when well, every, I mean here source was saying a foot plus around here at least. So so yeah, as we learned last year though, it only matters how few games you lose. So Ohio State sitting at three, uh, which is tied with Michigan State, Purdue, and Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that being said, whether you assume they're going to make up those games at some point, that's most teams that have had them canceled have found ways to get them in. I'm still curious to know how that works with the league office because earlier in the year, around the time when Michigan had to take their cancellation, Izzo made some comments where he's like, yeah, you know, I don't think we're going to do four games in eight days again like we did last year to help other teams out. I don't think we're going to do that. Uh, but then Michigan had to cancel their game and Michigan State rescheduled. So um, I don't know what level of discretion teams really have about that. But anyway, on the court, we met, we talked a little while ago about the one they let get away against Purdue. Chris Holtman is playing probably the deepest rotation I can remember in recent Ohio State history. Liddell is the name everybody knows, but Malachi Branham has been a real revelation for them as a freshman. Uh, probably going to be a two-man race for freshman of the year between him and Max Christie, who's been extremely inconsistent offensively, had another clunker of a game at Rutgers. He's been, he's really, it's, it's been easy to forget that he's a freshman because of how good Christie has been, but he's a freshman when he's on the road. That's basically what's come down to. So anyway, um, that award is there for Brandon to take if he keeps playing the way he is. They still do have a team look of a team that's ready to pounce if anybody on that double byline doesn't get their green and white acts together. They're ready to move in that fourth position, I think. Ohio so State, per Ken Palm, has the sixth best offense in the country. So that's – they're really uh... – they're really making their living on the on that end of the floor. Uh, not quite, well, actually. Ken Palm also says that they have that they are worse defensively than Iowa. Take that, I mean, Ohio State. You know, I, uh, I I believe that. I think. The, uh, but they also the, say Purdue is even worse. Take uh, that, yeah, Purdue. Purdue's had a couple of particular outlier results that I think have kind of changed that. Um. That being said, the last time we convened this podcast two weeks ago, uh, Holtman had just made some comments about just the suing status, where because he had, he had played, he had warmed up a little bit, taken some shots, but he didn't play, and so I had figured, well, he's got to be close to coming back. And then Holtman said that they might hope that they hope to still get him back this season. I was like, oh damn! And I'm checking on it now, and I do not see anything newer than that. That was two weeks ago, basically to the day. And it doesn't seem like there's been any commentary since that point. So it just assume, what you described you sounded a like what you described sounded a bit like uh, me at Lambeau Field. You know, I'd, I'd warmed up and taken some shots, but I, I couldn't find my way to the seats. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
<laughs> I, I went the wrong way at first. Um, so anyway, but I would not expect anything to come of that. But honestly, like you said, their their flow on offense is good enough right now that I don't know if inserting a guy who's going to command between twelve and fifteen shots if he's out there is really what you want to do anyway. I think their distribution works just fine. Try to work him in next year after some guys leave and pieces shuffle around a little bit. Well, it's a bit of a thing like with Andre Curbelo where it's like, <clears throat> like, even if the player is good, the fact is you found something that's worked in his absence. Yeah. You, you can't really just throw him right back into the lineup. You have to find a way to make everything work without disrupting something that's working. Yeah, but man, they, they certainly do have a lot of tough games left. They have their trip to the off-brand sub arena this week on Wednesday. In fact, they still have both games against Michigan. They have a trip to Breslin at the end of the year, still have a road game at Illinois. Um, some home, a couple of winnable home games, Minnesota and Indiana tucked in there as well, but not an easy schedule for them. And I'm looking here. I don't see a gap of longer than about five days in here. So if they reschedule, I mean, if they're rescheduling not one, but two games, they're going to be, there's going to be some fatigue issues and the, that depth is going to be tested, which again, they've you know been pretty good there. And I still think their key this year has been Zed key in allowing them to shuffle some roles, keep Kyle young on the bench and keep EJ Waddell out of foul trouble. So yep, like- we'll see, we'll see how the schedule ends up impacting Ohio state. <clears throat> they're kind of lurking. They're, they're going to need teams ahead of them to falter. Again, that head-to-head loss to Purdue hurts pretty badly. Well, like a Canadian laptop, they rely on the Z key for a lot. Yeah, although, I mean, it's really just, you know, Control-Z, right? So Control-Z. To get to the newest. <laughs> so, we're kind of, so now we're going to work our way out of the conference title picture and sort of touch on the rest of the teams who are just kind of finding their way in the world, man. And Indiana, yeah, just there. So far, kind of their biggest relevance has been screwing up Purdue's conference positioning by beating them in Assembly Hall. They have the rematch at Mackey the end of the season. Probably going to be in that single buy range for the Big Ten tournament, somewhere in that five, six, seven range. They've got a pretty difficult backloaded schedule as well here. I mean, they've basically got a split schedule. So the eight games they have left, Four that I would think are likely or near sure losses at Michigan State, Wisconsin at home, at Ohio State, at Purdue. And then four games that are likely to be wins at Northwestern, Minnesota, or I'm sorry, Maryland at home, at Minnesota, and Rutgers at home. Although pretty good chance that Minnesota is looking at that game against Indiana and thinking that's a game we can win. Speaking yeah, of- Indiana is very solid defensively, but... Uh, again, because the their their guards just have this. If they're not if, if if they're not shooting well at the beginning of a game, then Indiana can get out of it quickly. Um, and their I, guards just I do not be. have the upside of everybody else in this conference. It seems like well, I well, the better say, teams in the conference, the better teams in the conference. Yeah, I, I will say though that there are some signs recently that Xavier Johnson really might be figuring out playing in this league and playing with the guys that he's with. Uh, he's had some kind of stat stuffing lines recently. And I think he elevates their 
floor a little bit. I mean, as far as talent goes, they do still have Christian Lander, by the way. Uh, hasn't been playing a starter's role, but really uh, what they need to do is stop letting Miller cop shoot the ball. Uh, that honestly is probably the best way, the best and quickest way to improvement, in my opinion. <laughs> You're telling me that they need to take resources and opportunities away from the cop? I'm saying, yeah, I'm saying they need to defund Miller cop. So, <laughs> God, that's going to get us in some trouble, I think. Potentially, yeah. Well, but... You know, Xavier Johnson had a rough game against Illinois, but a lot of guys that go up against Trent Frazier seem to be doing that. Odd, since he's not a Defensive Player of the Year candidate, but, you know, these things just kind of happen. Yeah. Weird. Well, speaking of things, guys who tend to fling up shots and once in a while they go in, Rutgers has a very difficult high school size gym to play in. Uh, my team certainly found that out over the weekend. I still think they're much closer to Licklighter, Iowa, than to Bo Ryan, Wisconsin. But man, this conference does not need a new torchbearer for brutalist basketball. Uh, that being said, despite their current respectable seven and five in the conference, I think we might see something of a fade from the Scarlet Knights down the stretch. How's this kind of how's this go for a backload schedule? So keep in mind they did just play Michigan State yesterday and they won handily. So I guess you can say, hey, they're ready for this challenge. At Ohio State, at Wisconsin, Illinois at home, at Purdue, at Michigan, Wisconsin at home, at Indiana, Penn State at home. Plenty of resume chances to be sure, but I don't think it's unreasonable to say that. I mean, what is that? Uh, six or seven of their nine or ten toughest games yet to be played. Well, one of the problems is that Ohio State and Illinois, two of their remaining home games, are games they could lose at home. Yeah. Um, Illinois has beaten Rutgers there before. Uh, Wisconsin is on the road. Wisconsin, Purdue, Michigan, and Indiana are on the road. You can basically just call those losses right now. Well, they play Wisconsin twice. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so they've got three games that are against top-tier teams in the conference at, at home, which, yes, they beat Michigan State and Purdue, but I will be shocked if they go 5-5 five and five against the top five teams in the conference right now. Yeah. Even, even probably... despite this whole home Rutgers thing. And the real, the real problem they have, of course, from a tournament perspective, is because they did not challenge themselves in the non-conference and they lost a few games – they really needed to clean up in conference play to do that. They I was going to say, they challenged game. themselves plenty, like, well, but not in the way that you want to. <laughs> right, right. You, they revealed what a challenging game for them is, which includes losses to DePaul. That's okay. They're Ken Palm 102. UMass, eh, that's not okay. They're Ken Palm 262. And Lafayette, that's really not okay. They're Ken Palm 318. So two terrible losses in the non-con, plus a pretty bad loss. I honestly think of those last eight games, they probably got to win at least four of them to have a reasonable shot and then win a game or two in the Big Ten tournament. Um, and they certainly have to avoid the only candidate for a bad loss left, which would be Penn State at home last game of the season. That would probably be a killer unless they damn near swept their schedule to that point. Moving on to other... Yeah, this three, is a brutal, brutal, brutal schedule for the for the end of Rutgers. Yeah, yeah. Cannot be overstated. I mean, it's... The, like, it is absolutely the hardest in the conference that I've seen. But you know what? One of the ways to make your conference schedule easier is to be better. That's true. Yeah. Then you don't have yourself on the schedule. Yeah, right. It, it helps if you are one of those teams where people think, oh, crap, we still have to host them or go to their play. Yeah. You want to be that kind of team. That's that's sure. 
That's true. Because, yeah, you throw out the record books when it comes to Illinuckers. You can't say it's home Rutgers there because this is Illinuckers. You know how that works. Uh, you know, the the intensity of the football rivalry does bleed over sometimes. It's look as as we ha- as we heard expressed in oh my god um, there was a, there was a game oh it was Texas Texas Tech where at halftime the guys in the ESPN studio were like yeah this is great man it's great that everybody hates each other in this we need more hate we need more hate in college basketball I was like well okay go on then like I don't I don't hate what you're putting down there comrade welcome to the cause did not expect it from you. Uh, that you that ESPN would come out here and declare what college sports needs is more hate. Uh, but I uh, look, we've been on the record before that the beef between Illinois and Iowa, which unfortunately seems to have kind of mellowed a little bit. Well, uh, because we only have them once this. No, wait, we've got them again. We'll see. The only reason it's mellowed is because they're not good. And also because CJ Frederick ran away. Um, Jordan Bohannon didn't. He's a guy who famously accused us of what exactly after losing in the Big Ten tournament? Uh, yeah, who, who, look, it's sometimes it's best to just throw can't wait for him to come back to Champaign. Oh, especially given the season he's having. We'll get to him in a minute. Before we do Michigan's tournament case, how about this 11 and nine overall, five and five in the conference, best wins on the season, probably over Providence, Ken Pound number 48, San Diego State, Ken Pound 34, and at Indiana, Ken Pound 33. They did play a very difficult non-conference, so their losses there, Seton Hall, North Carolina, and Arizona, even though those latter two ran them off the floor, probably forgivable. Central Florida's profile, they're number 91 in Ken Palm this year, so even that isn't terrible, but still a pretty thin resume given that overall record at this point. Look, if this, have- a, if this is a uh, this is a beeline team, then I'm, I'm looking at this and being not surprised because I've seen it before and thinking they're definitely going to they're figure gonna this the out. They're going to win the Big Ten tournament for sure. Yeah. No question. <laughs> um, Especially if they're playing, uh, you know, skids off the runway. No question they're winning it. Yeah, but the, the problem really is that this year they're more or less a one-man team. If Hunter Dickinson isn't scoring 25-plus, dominating the matchup in the paint, and distributing to shooters who are not totally terrible that day, then they're not going to win. I had their game with the, uh, oh, was it, uh, what was the recent game? Oh. Um, they just played Purdue over the weekend. No, it was before that. I'm, I'm being disorganized. Um, let, me let me pull it up real quick. So Indiana. Yeah. I had their game against Indiana on where, or it was either Indiana or Northwestern. It was one where they were behind. So that so, was Northwestern. That was Northwestern. They yes, dominated. They, okay. They, so they, they, yeah. It was again North against Northwestern. And every time he was out, Northwestern would pull ahead. And then when he came back in for the last stretch, it, it, at one point, you know, my wife, who's just like doing other stuff during this game, she kept hearing Hunter Dickinson. And it'd just be like, Wow, is like anybody else doing anything on the? <laughs> and the answer was no. The answer was no. Because no, it, it was a, a vast, vast difference. The only reason that they only won that game by two is because he had foul trouble. Yeah, uh, they do. I mean, we mentioned Rutgers has a quite a difficult schedule left. Michigan's is pretty well backloaded as well. They still have rematches with Purdue, Michigan State, Illinois. Uh, two games left with Ohio State, and they have to go to Wisconsin still. 
they've got plenty of opportunities to pick up big wins and they've got plenty of opportunities to lose games to better teams because all those teams are better. We've seen it. Um, one would just hate to see them fail to make the NIT. Oh boy. We mentioned Iowa a couple minutes ago, their schedule, their resume, uh, pretty thin. They've got a road win against Virginia. That's holding value like an NFT. Um, they have a home win over Indiana. That's probably their best data point so far but they've had a relatively easy conference schedule. They haven't done much with the big opportunities they've had. Well, they got really close to beating Purdue without uh, Keegan Murray, and, uh, you know, they only lost to Illinois by four. So, you know, I think they're pretty good. Yeah, well, I mean, unless and until they reschedule that trip to Columbus, the only top-shelf resume items they've got left are a home date with Michigan State and a trip to Illinois, where they're probably going to get killed because, as you mentioned, Jordan Bohannon's still going to be on the team, uh, except he doesn't look anything like his old self. And it's hey, just, uh, Orange Crush has been very, very successful against their uh, bullying opponents this year, which to my knowledge have been Paul Mulcahy and Brad Davison, who had some of the worst games of their lives in very bad losses in Champaign. Orange I am Crush sure that Jordan Bohannon will get it. It's just that he's not going to touch the ball enough to really be affected by it. Look, it would be hitting the trifecta if you get in the heads of Davison, Mulcahy, and Bohannon all in one season. I mean, that's that's a law firm that you that takes on the cruddiest clients. Uh, so look, from there, Iowa's pretty much the last team in the standings that has anything approaching a realistic shot to get into the tournament. They are a very long shot at this point. Um, but their opinion, main the main reason that they still have a shot is because they have 15 wins overall. Yeah. It's it's got to be said though that the committee pays attention to who you play in the non-conference. Their two games, like I, that, really are going to catch attention. Again, they won at Virginia. That's good. They got absolutely housed by Iowa State. That's not good. And they haven't done much with their conference schedule so far. So they've they've got work to do. A lot of work to do. And Keegan Murray is the kind of guy who can win you games by himself, but he's also been susceptible to being shut down. So from here, again, we've, we've brought up most of these other teams in the context of teams they played. We're in the land of nah. You're going to have to have the miracle run that has not happened from a double-digit seed in the Big Ten tournament. Otherwise, you basically got a couple categories here. You have teams where you still have a reason to watch as a fan because it's a new coach and you're in a build. That would be Penn State or Minnesota. Or you don't have a reason to watch because you have an interim coach like Maryland a coach who can't figure it out with a veteran roster like Northwestern or an absolute dumpster fire like Nebraska, where despite him being a favorite son and despite there not being a clear, better option, you got to think about firing your coach. If you go winless or only get one or two. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good league, but towards towards the end of last season and even early this season before conference play started, we gave you, Hoiberg's numbers they certainly have not been improved by this start that they've gotten on they've been horrifying they are 6 and 17 overall um but hey you know what though that means they were 6 and 5 in the non-conference I know but they didn't exactly play like they had NC State and then other than that I don't recall their non-conference being all that challenging what you know what no not really we're we're heading towards the end here where all we have left after this is to preview the next couple weeks of schedule so they lost to western illinois 
And they played Creighton. Okay, that's that's reasonably shy. But yeah, as you mentioned, open the season with a loss to Western Illinois. Not promising. That's uh, Sager in 217. There's a lot of bad teams in this non-conference. They had a cupcakey schedule. Uh, okay, they played Auburn. They lost to Auburn and Kansas State. So it got better later on in December, which is a weird choice because you normally want to play easy teams in that area. But anyway, uh, 0-12 start to the conference season. Hoiberg's win percentage was already very low before conference season starts. Certainly has not been helped. In another couple of weeks, I'm going to plan to go back and depending on how they're doing, take another look at those numbers. But there comes a point where if, if you think like, all right, however much longer Hoiberg is here, like say, for example, that he does turn it around and he, and whatever that means, like, does that, that probably means getting them to the tournament at least once, if not twice, probably means getting him into the middle of the big 10, maybe even, you know, flirting with that four or five line one year or two. What kind of turnaround do they need to engineer for him to get enough runway to make that happen from where they are now? Because the, like the coaches who have win percentages, like he has in conference, they don't last that long. They don't get that much time. Not, not in the, at the division one level. It just doesn't happen. You may recall, I was absolutely beside myself with how poorly Brad Underwood's first two years went nothing like this. And also in year three, they took off. Yeah. You, I mean, Illinois basketball certainly has a different and vastly higher standard than Nebraska. Well, yeah, but they had been kind of in a, they, they hadn't made the tournament for about five yeah, years or so. So they, they had certainly, they were certainly in a bad spot relative to their standard even more so like Nebraska, but they had in that because he was such a nice guy and the teams were generally watchable i don't think that anybody really i mean i was mildly surprised when they fired him honestly but in that year too they did have iota sunmu who was living up to the hype and that provided some hope for the future and again that was year two um we're firmly in year three right yes I mean, that's basically kind of like the what would you compare that to the to the fourth or fifth year of a football rebuild? Yeah, I mean, given that Nebraska that basketball is a small roster, you only need like two or three of the right guys to turn around. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's unreasonable to call out like a year five, really. So, in other words, I've seen all I need to see by the end of this year. They've they've got to have. I'm not saying that they necessarily have to win out or anything or make a deep run to like the big 10 tournament semis, but you sure got to see some compelling evidence. This is going in the right direction. I don't know exactly what that would be. And watching them against Northwestern just get absolutely carpet bombed by another seller dweller in this league. And yeah, I get Northwestern is better than their record. Not by that much, but so, like anything <clears throat> at this point, anything would be kind of a statement when, but the only kind of a, oh, they could make it to the tournament soon kind of win they could possibly have is March 6th at Wisconsin. That's the only one that, in my opinion, would make me think, oh, okay, maybe I could see this coming together if it were then followed up with a good Big Ten tournament run. Yeah, I suppose, man. But it, First, it like, you mentioned yeah. that those double-digit runs have been rare, and that's because uh, once the 14-team bracket was made we had the wednesdays which made that very staggered the double buys which is still not quite as as uh top protecting as the west coast conference 
which basically has, which is basically the bracket from Mortal Kombat, right? <laughs> You're the last place team. They place you on the bottom and you have to fight your way through every single team before you get to Goro, who is also known as Gonzaga. Yeah, except it would be like it would be like you don't get to reset your health bar between fights. All the way. Like you, you only get like a little like twenty percent recovery or something. <laughs> yeah, it's the bracket for Mortal Kombat. Uh, yeah. All right. So that will about conclude the substantive portion of the evening. We will now take a quick look at the schedule for the next couple of weeks, pending further cancellations, which we hope there won't be. We mentioned, of course, Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday is going to be a big one in the conference. That would be February 8th. First, you have Wisconsin at Michigan State and then Illinois at Purdue. Cancel your appointments. Make plans to stay in. If you're in the Big Ten footprint, it's February, guys. You got nothing better to do anyway. Oh, yeah. That's going to go a long way towards determining what the pecking order is here, really, because... Very much so. If yeah. Illinois be, wins that, they virtually slam the door on Purdue. Yep, it would. Yeah, they would then have neutralized. And actually, you have we you would have neutralized the head to head. You'd have a two game lead in the standings. Um, Wisconsin, Michigan State. That's the second time they're playing as well. Whoever the inverse is very true for Illinois Purdue because Purdue winning yeah. would slam the door on Illinois, given how much easier Purdue's remaining schedule is. It is, and they as again would have the head to head. Now again. Head-to-heads don't necessarily matter for conference titles because if you have the same record, both teams get it. But for seeding purposes in the Big Ten tournament, that's generally what I have one eye on when I'm talking about this kind of thing. Um, Fast-forwarding then to Saturday, the 12th, you have Indiana at Michigan State, Ohio State at Michigan, not necessarily standings relevant, but always a more intense game than the respective team's quality would suggest. And we mentioned Penn State at Minnesota here merely because, again, this is a new coach fight. These are teams far down in the standings who nonetheless still have fan bases with reasons to watch. So consider that. Um, if you haven't seen either of these teams play, and they're not always uh, especially aesthetically pleasing on the court, but their teams play very hard for the new coaches, and you can get an idea of what these coaches are trying to do. So maybe consider t- uh, taking a look at those if you haven't seen them yet. Lord Shrewsbury. It's excellent. It's unusual for us to have a coach in the conference who contributes to the all-name conversation. But yeah, Micah Shrewsbury, uh, I think he's going to be in the picture there for us for a while. He feels like a keeper at Penn State. But again, very early. Results aren't there on the floor yet. We'll see. On Sunday the 13th, we have Nebraska at Iowa. A very real shot for Nebraska to get off the schneid where they are still 0-12. I don't actually project it to happen, but it's a possibility. Moving on into the conference schedule next week, we've got Wisconsin at Indiana on Tuesday the 15th. And then another opportunity for Nebraska when they host Maryland on Friday the 18th. Um, Saturday the 19th, a couple of big games towards the top of the table, Indiana at Ohio State and Illinois at Michigan State, especially if both of those teams hold serve on Tuesday night here this week, um, Illinois at Michigan State would be a de facto, you know, post position for the oh, last I haven't even thought about getting to that one. Oh, boy. Those tickets are going to be expensive. Um, that will not be – I mean, I, I suppose if Michigan State drops a couple games before then, you could slip in for less. Um, and then Sunday – Yeah, well, your arena literally attacked me the last time I went there, so – 
Are you are you saying you fell down the stairs or what do you mean? <laughs> a little bit. I mean, the, the nosebleeds there are unreasonably steep. Oh, they are. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I you have to have like, very narrow feet to go up there one step at a time. I believe because somebody told me this. I don't know if it's because true. visiting fans go there and it's fun when they get hurt. Not many. First, I can respect that. Okay, sure, but look, let's let's not pretend. Look, we're a Midwestern <laughs> fan base too. Let's not pretend that we're any more physically fit than Illinois fan base or anything. Um, what somebody told me, and you as an engineer maybe can identify if this is bullshit or not, is that because of how close the arena is built to the river, they didn't want to dig down very deep for the foundations, so they yeah. built taller and said, "Yeah, okay, all right." So I guess that kind of makes sense then. Um, so yes, yeah, so it is a little bit taller than most arenas, which are kind of set in the ground a little bit. And also kind of makes, I mean, we were in what, what must have been the worst seats in the house, and they were still pretty good. There's still a good vantage yeah, I, point. I, I would it's always I, amazing, the nosebleeds from Assembly Hall, it's like, or from in Bloomington. It's like, it's like they put you in another room that had a, that had just like a small <laughs> vantage point of the court. <laughs> it's like, hey, yeah, if you sit here, you can kind of almost see into the place where they're playing the basketball. Uh, and then got the last game of potential note, before we reconvene in a couple of weeks uh, on Sunday, the 20th Rutgers tries to go for the season sweep of Purdue going to be a problem because they have to go to Mackey to do it. So uh, maybe don't uh, hold your breath for that. Yeah, Rodgers. Yeah. Rodgers did get a win though, because it was, uh, it was Skurs Gers and it was a barn burner. And of course the Sunday after that is when, uh, is when Kofi Coburn finally reunites with his estranged son, Hunter. <laughs> uh, that one I'm looking forward to. Um, but we'll have a little bit more in-depth preview of that. I believe that's more than two weeks out, and that's about the schedule we're looking to keep this fine publication on. So hopefully we see you all back here then. We thank you all for joining us for another episode of the Blocking Charge Cast. Until next time, just remember, our administration values Source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle. Empire.